Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. Cold open for the show. We wanted to give you a content warning for some issues discussed in this episode around domestic violence that may be challenging for some listeners. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic or any other form of violence, we wanted to reach out and say that we see you and we support you, and to encourage you to reach out for help. We've listed some Australian organisations and resources in our show notes. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Welcome to Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters, a podcast where we watch and then talk about a production of every single play written by William Pradeep Shakespeare, who needs no introduction. But we do, so I'm Tammy Sarah Lindy. And I'm Luke O'Hagan. This week on Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters, Taming of the Shrew, directed by Toby Frow for the Globe Theatre in 2012 and written in 1603 by William Shakespeare. Some Shakespeare plays are timeless and others are a product of their time. When staging plays, what you put on stage is always a mixture of the time when the play was written and the era in which your audience is living, no matter how period appropriate, no matter how historically informed, and notwithstanding the colossal temple to Shakespeare in which you're performing, you're always going to be judged by modern standards. That's just the nature of the arts, especially the performing arts. Taming of the Shrew is a story so beloved that it has been adapted many times in many ways, But a lot of those adaptations exist to get past the almost unscalable heights of the play's chauvinism as written. Our show today, performed in and by the Globe, isn't making those adaptations. So what is watching a show like that in 2012 or 2020 like? And now for the sake of brevity, a synopsis of Taming of the Shrew in one tweet. It's ten things I hate about you, but with fancy words and such. do you think of Taming of the Shrew at large as a play? So I had a great time watching this play. It was fully hilarious until it suddenly wasn't. Mm. And I like to think of myself as a person who can separate art from the artist, but that's not really necessarily what's going on here. This was a choice made by performers in 2012 and a creative team in 2012 to put on a piece of work that is really sexist. Am I right there, (laughs) you know, saying that? Um, well, I found the intro a little awkward, and I found the end a lot awkward. Yeah. Um, but the middle bit was great. Yeah. I love the middle bit. Look, really can't say enough how well the comedy was handled in the first sort of 80% of this play. Like, even, you talk about the beginning, the beginning was a bit awkward, and we'll get into that, 
But it was funny. Even when it was awkward, it was funny. Yeah. And then we get towards the end. We get towards Petruchio punishing Catherine. And it's all of a sudden not funny. Look, I appreciated the approach they took towards some of the jokes. Yeah. And especially the ones that don't really have a modern day... There's no modern day equivalent. Like, they were definitely, like, in jokes of the time and the period. And instead of trying to adapt them to the modern day like some plays do, uh, they just really lent into those. And I kind of, I really liked that. Yeah. That's Um, kind of a Globe thing. The Globe seems to do that. I actually think it's kind of okay to do it that way because I, like, you know, it's one of those things of just accepting the fact that it's not a play written in the modern day, right? And I think that's how they're whole approaches and so they deal with things in a different way which obviously they did with the ending in this one unlike (laughs) modern pieces um you know i like there are so many times in my journal that i've written this is hilarious the whole way through the play um but then there's some big capital letters right at the end which i can't say for fear of being bleeped again yeah Um, (laughs) um why why don't we why don't we talk about why don't we talk about who was in it what it's about, and we'll sort of find our way through discussing the really, really great middle bit. I, I just I want to reinforce how great the middle bit is and the very troublesome ending. All right. Well, okay. We'll, we'll get back to how people seem to approach Taming of the Shrew. But talking about casting, um, Taming of the Shrew, obviously a few great roles in there. Uh, I want to say specifically... I really liked the performance of Bianca, uh, played mm. by Sarah McRae, Yep. which is a character that I suspect is not normally imbued with a lot of nuance, but in this play was definitely imbued with a lot of nuance. Like, I, I'm saying she can, she, as a character, as a archetype, she can tend to trend towards being... A ditz. Yeah, a bit yeah. of an airhead. And that yeah. wasn't done here. No, that yeah, that's true. I agree with that. Especially her relationship with Kate. Um, yeah. In their fight scene together. And this sort of, you, you see the, the deviousness in Bianca especially. Yeah. Uh, really, really fantastic. Because she's, she's trying to get her sister in trouble. In fact, I really liked that play on the sibling relationship. Because it kind of shows that... It's not just Catherine who is this shrewish maid who's, you know, got this bad attitude or whatever. It kind of runs in the family. Like, yeah. Bianca's got a little bit of attitude in there as well. It's just not... she's She has learned how to make it private and get use it to get others in trouble, whereas Kat is just honest and open and she's she just says it how it is, man. And it's interesting because I don't think that is sort of a textual thing. I think that's something that the actors and the director have brought to it. Yeah, yeah, to absolutely. Kind of make they're, this character more interesting. Their choices on how they want to bring the words off the page, and I really liked that. Yeah. Her relationship with Lucentio in disguise also was really, I think, well handled. And um, the scene where Lucentio in poetry reveals to her what his plan is yeah. and her response is so spicy. It was really great. And I think... She uh, gave a fresh take to a bit of a tired archetype, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. The other character that I really like, and yes, I am only talking about two this time, is <laughs> um, is Grumio. Grumio is yes! the the uh, assistant. Is that the word? Uh, he he's he's, he's kind of like the manservant to Patricio. Yes. Was it? And yeah, to Patricio. Yeah, to Patricio. And 
he is just phenomenal the entire time. He's so great. I've been trying to think what sort of archetype he brought to it. Like, what sort of... He's definitely doing a well-loved comedic character. And I the think wit it, is so dry. Like it's just it's so dry. It's, it's like a desert. I'm parched from laughter. It's something like a Baldrick from Blackadder. Or yeah. like you know, a more modern Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Or like it's really handled in that way. It's that yeah. sort of incredibly dry British humor way. Yeah. And that gives him like he he's a servant character, but he has the power in every scene he's in, oh, right? It's wonderful. One of the best jokes in the play is Grumio's in that Patricio has arrived in town and he's telling a few people about his poor, dear, departed late father. Whenever Patricio said his late father, Grumio kicked or dropped this metal bucket. Yeah. He, he <laughs> literally kicks a bucket. Mighty right? clang. It's it's great. It's so funny because he just keeps doing it. And every time it happens, Petruccio like shoots him this glare and and Grumio's just standing there going, What? I didn't do anything. It's fine. <laughs> it's Whatever, fine. You know? and it's just a bucket. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. He's so wonderful. Um, apparently in 2019, that actor, Pierce Quigley, mm. um, played uh, Falstaff in The Globe's Merry Wives of Windsor. Oh, he'd be so good at that. Yeah. Who's on your list? Um, well, Grumio is definitely on my list. I also really liked the use of transition. Um, so the actor who played Petruchio also played a character called Sly and also played... The pre-show. At the beginning of the play, and this is kind of what we were talking about earlier with the beginning being a little bit awkward. Yes. So they have this actor who's dressed as basically a drunk rugby supporter. Yes. Um, out, or the football supporter, out in the audience receiving area, like out outside of the globe. And he's out there and he's quite drunk and he's sort of accosting patrons very casually and... And everything like this. And then he he falls into line, into the the patron's line to go into the theatre. And you can see some patrons kind of looking at him awkwardly. But, you know, they're all very British. So they're kind of not making a fuss and they're not drawing attention to themselves or him. um, To the point where some of the venue staff try to settle him down. Because he's got a beer and he's sort of chugging around everywhere. And in this commotion and this kerfuffle, he ends up on stage. And the stage manager comes out and... All this kind of stuff, and he gets knocked out, and he's on the stage, and all the actors are on stage going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, I know. And then they just start the play, and it's actually quite it's quite clever in the sense of the beginning of this play is the conceit that um, the actors are actors, and they're going to put on a show, and they're going to convince this guy that he's somebody he's not. Which might be my least favourite theatre trope of all time. Look, it's lame. <laughs> I, I'm kind of surprised that Shakespeare used it. I wonder if he invented it. Whatever. Anyway, moving right along. So, basically, he goes from this this drunk pre-actor and they make him Sly, who is the guy that they're playing the prank on in mm-hmm. the Shakespeare story. And then... Um, they've got an actor who who comes out dressed like a male actor comes out dressed as his wife, um, <laughs> and and the guy playing Sly slash the pre actor is like, what's what's happening? What's going on? And then the wife in commas takes him into the audience to go watch the play, and then they sort of disappear. And I'm thinking to myself, 
I wonder if they're just going to sit in the audience the whole time. Mm. And lo and behold, they come back as Patricio and another man sermon of Patricio's um, as a messenger. Which, um, and like, the fact that they had that actor, that particular actor whose name I can't recall, I haven't written it down, but he was actually quite good. Like, the, the through line of him playing these different characters, but how it all kind of tied into... It, it all informed the character of Petruccio. It all informed um, the the story arc of where Petruccio was taking his character, um, where the actor was taking that character of Petruccio. And I just, I, I just really, I really enjoyed that piece of theatricality and casting. Uh, bringing him on, like when they brought him on to, as Petruccio, that sold me. Yeah. Everything before that, I could take or leave, but that, yeah. the fact that it informed that moment almost makes it worth it, I guess. Like, yeah, yeah, like it, he was very convincing in the three personas that he he showed, and, and I, I liked that about that. It's a trope in Taming of the True. Like, not many people do that opening bit anymore it's called no. the induction um, because why. it doesn't really have much of a point it makes no point no. like it's it's just saying that it's a play within a play there's a bit of speculation that shakespeare did it to kind of separate himself from the more objectionable parts at the end of the play so he can oh. say oh look this was just a play within a play guy this is just a farce i'm just doing fast stuff i mean but <laughs> specifically that thing of having a person out front who's, you know, drunk and goes and does horrible things and urinates on the audience and stuff. Yeah. That's actually um, the earliest thing I could find about that was it being done in the 70s yeah. in an RSC production of Taming of the Shrew with Jonathan Pierce playing that character. Yeah. And the first time he did it, they called the cops. Because <laughs> uh, I think there were some people in the audience and some venue staff who weren't aware that it was happening. Why wouldn't you tell your venue staff? Oh, I don't know. Because... Who knows? Anyway. It shows you that he was very uh, convincing. Yeah. Well, I mean... Anyway, but my my other character that I really liked was the actor playing Tranio, um, uh, especially when he's masking as Lucentio. So Tranio is Lucentio's uh, manservant, and uh, Lucentio to undertake the the disguise of being the tutor to Bianca to woo her. He tells his manservant Tranio to be himself in his place, um, and so Tranio getting around as his lord and master. Uh, is quite hilarious. I really enjoyed a lot of his facial responses to things and just his over, uh, very larger than life. Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. He gives great face, and he like like that kind of over the top, you know, face of just being like, I am just going to plaster on the most gigantic grin possible and see. That's <laughs> that's actually something I like to do. Yeah. When when I when I act on stage, um, mm-hmm. there's a photo I might link in the show notes if I remember to do it, and I, I look like. I've been tased or something. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree. I thought I thought Trania was really good. In fact, I thought um, the actor who played Lucentio also was was very good. He gave yeah. me uh, he gave me big Jon Snow vibes, but I thought they were both pretty good. So while we're still talking a little bit about the shape of the play and things like that with the mm. induction thing, I can understand why people don't perform it these days. Although for this particular one, I really did have a, a good chuckle at the audience interaction. Because, uh, I mean, you know me, I love a bit of audience interaction. It would be my second least favourite thing. That we've ever of, but uh, anyway, that's fine. Continue. But it's it's wonderful because um, the character playing the drunk man leans over to the this guy in the audience and um, before the actor even says anything, and we're not sure that he's an actor at this point, the guy in the audience goes, go away. <laughs> Just straight up, go away. And the, and the, the actor goes, 
but you don't even know what I'm going to ask you yet. And the, and the guy in the audience is like, don't care. <laughs> and it's just such a British response of, no, go away. I don't want anything to do with you. And such a remarkably globe way of doing things. Like, yeah. like, you know, people being kind of rowdy in the audience is what the whole thing's about, right? Yeah. Were there other moments for you that you enjoyed in this show? Yeah, I will double down on what you said just before about mm. um the change from Sly into Petruccio and the, and the change from the wife into Biondello. I thought it was really good. Uh, I think with with regards to the induction, they kept it pretty short, which I think is a good choice. Yeah, they did um, cut a lot of it. They you cut said, from quite the a lot. They cut yeah. quite a lot out of it, and. You know, if you're going to make cuts, I, I completely understand cutting the entire thing out because it's it's two whole scenes and mm. two quite long scenes yeah. and doesn't really add anything. And I really liked the first scene between Kate and Patricio. Mm-hmm. So there is a there's an extended scene where they're riffing off each other and they're making really bawdy, dirty jokes Mm-hmm. And there's this spark between them. Yeah, there is. The first time they're alone together on stage. Yeah. When Patricio is telling Kate that I'm going to marry you. This is just what's going to happen. And they have this this wonderful repartee, this back and forth. And as a scene, it really, really worked. However, that also annoyed me quite <laughs> a lot. Because they then didn't use it. Not like They didn't make the choice to use that later in the play. I mean, they did. It was just not used in the way we wanted to see it used. Well, no, I I, got to say I disagree with that. I think you can take the ending or the end monologue where Kate shows that she has been been tamed and she talks to these other wives about, Mm. you know, how terrible women are and all that awful stuff. The dastardly monologue. You can take that monologue and you can make it. there, There is a line. There is a needle you can thread there and there's a line you can take to make it look, I don't really believe these things, but, you know, I'm the one who has my thumb on Petruccio and, you know, I love him. He's an idiot, but I love him, right? I think there's a line there. They didn't take that line. They weren't interested in it. They weren't interested no, in they doing weren't, anything No, they weren't, but, else. like, the spark is still there during the scenes where they're at their home and they're married. In the, uh, first, uh, in the first part, I saw it. You saw it. I, I didn't at all. That's fair. By look, by the, and by that point, I was just sort of raging against the machine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know that that scene, that first scene between them. I thought it was a wonderful demonstration of craft. Yeah. And just really well done. Yeah. Look, I really, I really enjoyed Kate coming out with a whip. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there was a lot of Kate stuff. Yeah, like there. like when we're first introduced to Kate, they really lay it on thick about this idea that she's a shrew, right? Yeah. Like that that she's this cantankerous old hag. And she comes out with a whip, pretending to whip her sister, which is why, you know, Bianca is able to get Kate into trouble because she basically gets herself into trouble. But Bianca's crying these crocodile tears to her father um, of, oh, no, save me. And the father's like, oh, what am I going to do with you? And there's another bit where I don't even think I remember the reason why, but she kicks, she literally kicks in the door of the set. It's right at the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's right amazing. At, yeah. and, and it's so, so yeah, funny. Yeah. I loved the introduction of Kate. Um, that whole, she comes on and she is, you strong know. Strong and powerful. Well, not just and... strong. She's at a full rolling boil. She's yeah. like wild and crazy. And she's, she's, you know, 
physical and yeah. we get that energy from her in that moment i'm just like that this is really great yeah we I see ha- similar energy when kate and patricio first meet the scene you were just talking about absolutely it's that, the stuff I the like. energy is there and then the rest of the play is a slow progression of seeing that will and that strong spirit being broken well i don't i don't know i i don't think that i think Yes, we definitely see that will get broken, right? But I think we also see... I'm just... I'm not a huge fan of Samantha Spiro's performance as Kate in this. I like those moments that were really good. And clearly, she is a master at a craft. Clearly, her craft is on point, and I can't take any of that away from her. But she plays this shrew in a very shrewish way. Well, I without think... without any sort of nuance in it, she's just angry all the time. Yeah, look, I I I agree. I think she struggled with it. Yeah, but I can only imagine how hard it must be to wrestle with that internal struggle of trying to reconcile a performance from the historical context which which the Globe is doing it in, and also against like the modern socio political climate that we exist in. And I can only imagine. You know, even even a talented actor actress such as herself, how hard that struggle must have been to be able to come out, you know, both both arms um, swinging, and go, yeah, I'm going to demonstrate this really strong woman, knowing that by the end of the play, she's going to have to portray this woman with this. It's a broken spirit, but it's not portrayed in a broken way. It's kind of this this acceptance of civility and this acceptance of, of a woman's place of a woman's place. Yeah. And I, yeah, there's, there. I, I have no words to describe a, how hard that must've been for her yeah, and B how much it annoyed me. All right. I have all the time in the world for the globe attempting to put on historically accurate Shakespeare plays, stuff that isn't just period work. It's trying to do really nuanced the experience that people would have had in the globe in this, in the early 1600s when this play was put on for the first time. Yeah. I have respect for that. Right. But when you're putting on a play in 2012, you have options. You have a lot of options, right? Yeah. Let's not pretend. It's not like they're tied to a licensing agreement that doesn't allow them to make decisions about the play. The play is 400 years old. They can yeah. do whatever they want with it. Yeah. They made a decision to have this play not modernized in any way, no. not taking this further in any way. And instead, they put on a work which. I think you can say, and with some caveats, but I think you can say they put on a work that was extremely chauvinist. Yeah. And look, there's a lot of people, I read a lot of reviews of various versions of Taming of the Shrew and this specific production. I read the New York Times review and I read uh, I read a lot of writing about this specific production. Yeah. And there were a lot of people who said, I'm really glad they didn't have to bend and twist themselves or contort themselves into a way of making this character and this ending seem modern and clever. But if you're not contorting yourself to make the end of the play ironic, 
or sarcastic or trying to give a different dimension to the relationship of Kate and Patricia. That's the aforementioned spark that we saw with them. Yeah. You're just putting on an unhealthy, outdated attitude towards gender roles on stage. Yeah. Well, that's all you're doing. Well, that that's the thing. Like, as, as we were watching it, I was casually laid back on the couch and having a good old chuckle and a laugh. And then as it as the story progressed, I slowly sort of changed my physical posture from one of laid back to actually sitting on the edge of the couch, leaning forward, no longer chuckling. Like there was the occasional chuckle, but like mostly just starting to tense up physically because I sort of suddenly started to realise that even though, yes, there's a historical context, yes, all, all of that, all of that, but holy hell, the ending is just not okay. Like leading into the ending is not okay, but it, it's... It's like he marries her in a completely disrespectful way, mind you, which at first I thought was kind of funny. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I see. Oh, yeah, all right. That's mm. that's kind of crappy, but all right. But then, you know, as he gets her home, he starts to make her in a position of not being able to be clothed nicely and restricting food from her. And all of a sudden and I'm even getting angry about it now, I realise this is, this, is this is a domestic violence situation. This, yeah. is, this is so typical domestic violence. And to think that there are still people who are suffering those things now and would have been suffering those things in 2012 and to get to the end and, and realise that He's brainwashed her to the point that she will accept his every command with no complaint. It's just, it's not okay. And it's like all of a sudden I realized where that, you know, that subtle, like it's stupid, but like the, the whole phrasing of like, oh, you have to be cruel to be kind sometimes. It, it's, it's literally in the play. It's from the play, Kill Them With Kindness. Yeah. 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 And it's like, oh no. You know what? Let's let's not kill people with kindness because that isn't kindness. What you're doing is not kindness. What you're doing is oppression, and what you're doing is abuse, and what you're doing is wrong. And I maybe I don't like this play anymore. <laughs> Look, here's the thing, right? I, I and I, I I said to you after after we watched the thing, we had a long conversation about this play, and I think you can if not justify Shakespeare's work, you can at least sort of give it some context by saying, clearly, Petruchio is not a protagonist in this play. Clearly, he's an antagonist. Clearly, Shakespeare's voice in the play, as written, doesn't suggest that he thinks that Petruchio is doing the right thing. Yeah, but, 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 but that doesn't come across in this performance. No, but that's what I'm saying, right? Like, we've just... You've just, you know talked about how we can make choices because the work isn't licensed and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, all of those things. And so why the hell is, is the globe, like, is the globe trying, like, is the globe trying to actually, you know, we, we, we kind of say, oh, they're trying to do it in a historical context. Well, what if, what if they're not, what if they're actually trying to make a point, a political point about domestic violence? I just, I think if that was their point, they failed. Right. Well, I, mean, I, ju I judge all have the they, I'm angry. Yeah. You should be angry. Anyone listening to this, be angry. Yeah. Look, when I review theatre, and I don't do it often, but when I when I review theatre, when I talk about theatre, I think the most important thing is 
did they accomplish what they set out to do? And I think they definitely, if they look, if their aim was anything less than putting misogynistic trash on stage, then they failed. And even if they succeeded at that, I'm not interested. You know? Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't. My problem is so much more with the globe than it is with Taming of the Shrew because the tam- oh, Taming mine, of the Shrew. Mine's not. <laughs> well, the thing is, Taming of the Shrew, you, it is a product of its time, right? It is definitely. It, it's definitely. Yeah. It, it's a. It's an old piece of work. And but if it, like, and if it much... stayed back in the, if it stayed back in those days, that's completely fine. Yeah, but, but when you're making a decision to put it on in this, stage in this podcast, how much have we talked about? You know, you have to make intelligent cuts and you have to make relevant cuts to the time and the period. Why have that ending monologue? It doesn't need to be there. Have have the end of the play be the weddings. Have the end of the play be the weddings, and you're done. It doesn't well, have to go short. back. It, no, it's not. It's not short. It was a long play. Yeah. It was a long play. It does not need to. Be, it does not even need to be included. And then that way, instead of making the whole Patricio Kate torture scene, abusive scenes, be as abusive as what they came across as in this particular show, make them more funny. Make them more lighthearted. Make it as though Kate's playing along yeah no, right? this, and this is this this would be my point there are ways there are intelligent ways to get through that that sort of last third of the play with the abuse part and then the monologue to 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 put kate through that in a way that lets her retain her power gives her the power over the situation and then it's a completely different story because yeah. then it's this idea of it's the taming of the shrew, right? It's the taming that the shrew does. Yeah, I'd like, I like. I really think you can do that. I don't think you have to change a line. You you know. I think I think it's just a matter of the intelligence with which you bring yourself to this production. Yeah. And I just I don't think that the globe did it. I'm I'm a little upset, kind of. That we chose this production to do, and like when when we chose it, we had no idea that no, this was what it was. We didn't, and I mean, we chose it because primarily, and part of this entire this entire the reason for this entire podcast was when we were at the Globe, I saw the box DVD of Shakespeare's comedies. Yes, this is a comedy, people. This is classified as a comedy. Um. But I wanted to get the box set of the comedies because I thought, oh, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll have my little souvenir from the Globe and I can finally sit down and watch some Globe performances of Shakespeare. And that'll be, that'll be r- rather nice and wonderful. And, and, and I got more than a bargain for, apparently. So do you think... Hashtag not a comedy. <laughs> do you think that this is why it gets adapted so much? Yes. Because if the the only way you can justify doing this show in today's and and you know what the reason why people want to do this show is because there is so much funny stuff in it. Yeah, there is so many good jokes. There are so many good one liners. Like there's a situation where Biondello has to list off this. It sounds like a page, like a whole monologue of listing. Yeah. And he just leans right into that. He makes it so funny and it's wonderful. And like I have it written down here as Biondello's rap. 
<laughs> like it's 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 that it's 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 just delivered at pace and at rhythm yeah and it's great and i mean like they had this really fun tavern song to bring the crowd back in after intermission and there's like the kick in the bucket joke that we told earlier and yeah. all the, the licentio and tranio like hijinks and the bianca hijinks with the tune like there's so much funny good stuff in this play but because the main storyline is this misogynistic domestic abuse type storyline if done traditionally or yeah. done without real consideration of the day and the time that we live in today, then the main storyline is not why you do this play. It's all the other stuff around it. And I kind of feel like if it wasn't for that, this play wouldn't even get done. No, absolutely. Because there's no reason to do it. Yeah, and that like there's there's great characters, you know. Yeah, playing Kate would be great. Even playing Patricio, even you know, you, yes, he's an abuser as written. Yeah. But if you if you can find the comedy in, you know, giving Kate the power in those scenes. Yeah, Patricio is a, f- a fantastic character to play. Yeah, and and there's there's so much good stuff in there. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it depressed me. It really, really did. Yeah, and like, like the more like, we honestly, talk about it in this podcast, yeah, because like it's been what a couple of days since we watched it, and since we've re- since we're actually recording the review of it. Yeah, and uh, part of that reason is because life, and part of that reason is because. I was worried that if I, I recorded directly after we watched it, I would probably be too angry and be shouting into the microphone like every second of this podcast, which I yeah. didn't think any of you wonderful listeners would appreciate. But the further and further away we get from it, the more I realized that I forgot all the funny stuff. Because it wasn't until we came back and I looked at my notes and I was like, yeah, this play was hilarious. But the further away I get from it and the more that I think about it, the more I realise how angry it actually made me and how disappointed I was in this play. And it's, 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 it, it is a great symbol of their failure as producers of theatre because what we took away was their failure. And they did so much good stuff, but it didn't matter. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. It doesn't matter to us now having sat here talking about it, laughed after you know, what really matters to us. And I think you can tell listening to this this play, like we've talked about some stuff that we like, but I feel like we are so much more informed by the stuff that we hated. Yeah. You know what? Let's move on. <laughs> well, let's, do, do we have any non-misogyny related sort of things we didn't like about this play? No. I mean, I, I, do, I do just want to make one brief point about the induction, um, this thing at the beginning. Um, has an actor in character out amongst the people in the pre-show ever made a show better ever like isn't it always just like oh really like when i go and see shows and i see that happening i'm just oh, yeah but that's really have you to know happen? where that comes from it's because both you and i don't want to be that actor <laughs> yeah it's like i'm not interested some people like it this is meant to be an asynchronous form of entertainment where I sit here and you entertain me. <laughs> I shouldn't have to do work. And like just watching him do it, just, oh, oh yeah, it's, no, no, it was the worst. Quotes you liked from the play, things, words. Twangling Jack. Twangling Jack. Such a great insult. You're yeah. a twangling Jack. I'll tell think, you what, this play is a twangling Jack. I think it was Petruccio who was a twangling Jack. I think. Yeah, I agree. Kate yeah. said that. Um, but yeah, definitely going to have to work that one into my vernacular somehow. Yeah. 
there is a filthy, lewd joke mm. in the Patricio Kate first scene. Oh, there is too. There's a really dirty joke, and I've sent it around to some friends, and I'm not. I'm not going to specifically say what the joke is and what it's about because it is it is too dirty for this podcast like we 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 don't think about we, like i think we think of shakespeare as, as telling like you know bawdy jokes but this is filthy this is x-rated the end of the joke is what with my tongue in your tail nay come again good kate i am a gentleman so take those words and go and look it up and find shakespeare's excellent dirty joke it is really wonderful so luke do I even need to ask if you will watch this again? <laughs> I will never watch the 2012 Globe production of the of Taming of the Shrew again. I intend to scratch the disc. Don't um, you scratch my disc. I, I won't scratch the disc. I was being, you know, facetious. Um, I plan to actually, you know, rip it from the DVD and cut out all the parts I don't want just so that I can watch the funny bits. <laughs> Just as a little collection of funny bits, and, and then, then just and, and then never the, watch the ending ever again. No, and then so what we'll do, we'll we'll take it, we'll rip it to, to a file on the hard drive, we'll split it up apart so there's like a file of the bad stuff and a file of the good stuff, and then as, as a form of therapy, you can just drag that other thing into the trash. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, and yeah, so so you'd you'd watch the, just just the funny bits again, and completely. I just I just want to w- watch Grumio kick a bucket, and you know I just want to watch that stuff. I don't want to watch the rest of it. So. I, I'll 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 say whether or not I'd watch this again after we do our spear ratings. <laughs> um, so spear ratings, you go. I abstain. I abstain from spearing this play. Coward. Uh, <laughs> half a spear, just the pointy bit, so I can stick it in Petruccio just a few hundred thousand times. What do you do when? The first three quarters of a play is a four-star play, and then the end is negative two stars. <laughs> well, I'm reminded of the phrase of rotten apples, mm. and a single bad apple spoils the bunch. Yeah. And that's what I feel has happened here. Zero yeah. stars. This was a dud, guys. And to say, would I watch it again? No, I, I wouldn't watch this again. Why would I ever do that? However, i tell you what I would watch. I would watch any one of the fine, fine adaptations of Taming of the Shrew that are out there and are fantastic. And so, next time on Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters, we are going to watch two modern adaptations of Taming of the Shrew and discuss them for you, the people. And now, a sonnet that is not Sonnet 18. Sonnet 141. In faith, I do not love thee with mine eyes, for they in thee a thousand errors note. But tis my heart that loves what they despise, who in despite of you is pleased to dote. Nor are mine ears with thy tongue's tune delighted, nor tender feeling to base touches prone, nor taste, nor smell desire to be invited to any sensual feast with thee alone. But my five wits, nor my five senses, can dissuade one foolish heart from serving thee, 
who leaves unswayed the likeness of a man, thy proud heart's slave and vassal wretch to be. Only my plague thus far I count my gain, that she that makes me sin awards me pain. You've been listening to Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters. You can follow us on the socials using HSAUL Podcast, where we will also make our show notes available. Feel free to send us any questions there or send us an email at hsaulpodcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe to Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere good podcasts are available. Next time, in a very special episode of Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters, we'll be watching modern retellings of Taming of the Shrew, Kiss Me Kate from 1953, and 10 Things I Hate About You from 1999. This podcast is produced in partnership with That's Not Canon Productions, and the music is by me with editing by both Tammy and myself. Thanks to William Shakespeare, Zane, Daryl, Scott, Janet, Bernadette, David, Emily, Kate, Peter and Jason for your help and mentorship. See you next time. Faith, I do not love thee with mine eyes, for they in a... See, I, just, I can hear the guy in the movie doing it. In faith, I do not love thee with mine eyes, for they in thee a thousand errors. No. <laughs>